0: You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter.
1: did two virtual conferences this week. The one that I spoke at was okay. Because because they did an avatar, and you actually went into a a, a room, you got to choose your spot and oh. stand where you wanted to look at the screen or go in third. That was an interesting conference.
0: But I, I want to talk about the logistics of that. I, I would.
1: Oh my gosh, it was so cool
0: with the biggest giant head. And then if I got to pick where I could stand, I would stand in the very front.
1: Mine, you couldn't be a person of color, so oh. when I would choose my avatar. The hairstyles, I ended up with a ponytail, a high ponytail. And then when you chose a skin t- color, it only did your face, not your neck or your hands. It was, it was the weirdest thing on there. And then your clothes, I got to wear some tight jeans and some sneakers. So I was like, oh, yeah, okay, Most we'll call it. I haven't
0: worn pants in months,
1: <laughs> not long <laughs> pants. <laughs>
0: All right. So look, uh, I have with me uh, Shalia Gray. Shalia, you have been uh, a force. You're one of my favorite people in our industry, in our space. I have known you. I always try to figure this out because, you know, I think we take for granted uh, the time that we spend in the space, the time that we travel, you know, from those of us who were power travelers for so long and who just, you know, bumped into each other in Ireland or Amsterdam or where Mm -hmm. where all the other places we might have been. I want to say Uh, it's probably been seven years, eight years have we known each other?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I think I met you, I may have met you before, but I met you at a career crossroads meeting in New Jersey. I think it was BASF.
0: Operations.
1: It was the first operations meetings when I met you. I, Mm -hmm. I was with Mark and Jerry a lot longer than that, but I think that's the first time I met you. Yeah,
0: maybe so. Yeah. In yeah. fact, um, I don't, I think that was summer. It would have been roughly summer, a,
1: spring. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. I remember that. I yeah. absolutely remember mm-hmm. that. In fact, that was one of the meetings where I was sitting, I was sort of more of an observer than I was a participant that day. Yes. Uh, it was one of the final meetings before I was making the
1: final decision if I wanted to buy, buy. Oh, it course. was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so that was the bed, first bed, that bed. was a really good meeting. That was my fir- that was the first operations meeting. And so I don't want to say we went off on tangents, but we covered a lot of stuff in that meeting. We did everything from recruiter performance mm-hmm. to technology. I mean, we covered the gamut and called it operations. Wow. I mean, it may have been one of those meetings where as a result, we did an we've now started doing subsets of that meeting. Yep. Cuz I don't remember us doing a technology meeting before.
0: Right. That's no, so we've done working.
1: subsets, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because we carry the operations piece and sometimes I think it, it, it acts as a catch-all. Yes. But we, we've we pulled other pieces out, full-blown meetings and disciplines, and now we do technology showcases that came out of that. Yeah, that was pivotal.
1: You know, it's funny because as a result of that meeting, I really saw, like, when organizations ask me, what's the bear, what are those job families, what are those jobs you got to have in TA? Yeah. I used to say, you know, recruiters and sourcers. I don't say that necessarily more because I can outsource it, right? I can outsource it. I now say I need I need recruiters, I need an ops person, and I need um, employment marketing. Oh, interesting. Those are the three jobs categories I need because I need the operations person. Because let me tell you something, um, outsourcing contracts, you know, analytics and metrics. Yep. You know, um, I have folders now um, that I call things to follow up. Those are people that contact me and they're shiny objects. And I don't have time to do that. And there was a woman last year when I went to Ireland, she did a really cool thing with shiny objects I've started doing. When people call her about a shiny object, she, said, she says to them, send me a video of your elevator pitch and tell me where you go in the tech, tech space, my tech stack and then I will put you in my library. And if I, when we get there, I'll call you.
0: Yeah, well, there's a whole, a whole other conversation involved in that and how you, how you get something past the gatekeeper.
1: Yeah, uh, but the operations person is one of those people that ideally in, my, you know, in an organization, some shiny objects get to me because they're on my radar, some shiny objects. So now I've made them, um, I've made shiny object teams within my recruiters. So every month I say, who wants to be the shiny object team? I give them the three vendors that are sitting in my folder and I say, set up a demo. Tell me, you know, where would fit? Does it solve a problem? And what's the pricing model? And so, you know, because but an ops person kind of manages that kind of stuff too.
0: So well, I gotta tell you, so it takes experience to get to that point to be yeah. right. And discipline, a little bit of discipline yeah. experience. So how how long have you been doing this uh this talent
1: thing? Oh, my gosh. So oh, oh, dating myself. So I started my undergrad and grad were in labor and, and, and business. Okay. So I came out of undergrad with my first H.R. job. And this was in the OK, let me just put it this way. I'll put it in time. I went to college with Michael Jordan. And we were the same. We were supposed to be the same class. Uh huh. So that will give you my era, okay? So when I came out, I went straight into HR as a journalist, and I did journalist work for about three years, and then I specialized in diversity for two years, and then I did college recruiting, and then I only did TA, and then I moved, I lived in Boston for like 12 years, and then I moved from Boston to Phoenix to work for Allied Signal, and that's when I became what I say is a TA professional because it was not transactional recruiting. It was not file folder candidate collection. It was technology. It was metrics. Yeah. It was all of that stuff. And it was also the consultative piece that, that, that moved me from transactional recruiting to consulting with the client. And, well, then I, and, and when I came there, my, my leader, I don't know if you've ever met Mark Streifer. My mentor, one of the greatest, Mark Streifer is there, Um, and under Mark, we did transformation work, and they created one of the first company COEs for TA, and from that point on, I only did organizations that did transformation, so you had to be going through chaos and change, and that was what drove me to a company. I have a type. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's not a bad type to have. I have a type. I mean.
0: but, You've
1: got to be going through something catastrophic that you're sitting there needing to do it because I realize my gifting is problem solving. And the type of people I hire, I hire you know, control people. I hire all kinds of people. Some of the people I hire, people are like, why did you hire them? They seem really quirky because they're problem solvers and they think in a different way. So there's no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. It's just how do you logically think through a problem? That's what I like.
0: So you've essentially been in talent or in, in human resource umbrellas yeah. your, entire, your entire career, right out of college.
1: Entire career, but I've worked in every industry except pharmaceuticals. I've done manufacturing. I've done high tech. Um, I've worked for three companies that were not U.S. owned. I've worked for companies that have been over 300,000 employees, and I've worked for companies that have been small as 50. Okay. So I've worked in all kinds of stuff. So I love the space. I love this, love, love the space because, and someone, it was Elaine Oyer that said this a long time ago, HR moves at the speed of the business. Mm-hmm. TA moves at the speed of the market. Yeah. So, you know, I never forget, I went to a meeting, oh gosh, many years ago when, when LinkedIn was still less than a thousand members and the ER conference was in Boston. I was speaking at that conference mm-hmm. and, and LinkedIn had a little tiny booth and at that point it hadn't figured out how to monetize what it was doing. So it was just trying to get people to sign up for LinkedIn and they were thinking about maybe they could be used for like employee referral. Yeah. And um recruiters then were thinking about what would you know what how can we use LinkedIn. Sure. You know, way back then. So recruiters always thinking about whatever's in the market and where the candidates are, how we use it. That's why I love recruiting.
0: That's interesting. So so you've been in the space a while. You've been in HR and, and in these umbrellas the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it kind of bring, kind of brings me to why we're chatting today. So there's a lot going on in the world.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Right? It's not a boring time. It's certainly nope. not a boring time nope. to be uh, an HR professional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we've got, obviously, the pandemic, which is changing yes. the way we work and the way we consider working and the way we even think about work and, and talent and how we manage talent. Okay. Uh, but we've also got a little bit of a societal unrest issue that's been brewing for years and years and years, hundreds of years, but that is now sort of coming to a head uh, and, and yeah. really from a, uh, I would say, a business imperative moment, right? We, we just wrapped up a meeting this morning with executive recruiting and each of, the, each of the groups were challenged. You know, we do the breakout rooms virtually and they were challenged to come up with three things that are, that are really top of mind. Uh, from a, a C-suite recruitment and hiring standpoint. And then they were challenged to know which of those three that that group agreed upon, which of those three were now, uh, bubbling to the top or had floated to the top just in the past year and why. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was a lot of talk around diversity and there was yeah. a lot of talk around cultural fit, which I, I always push back on. I think, I think the term cultural oh, fit no. is kind of a lazy way to empower bias or unbiased, uh, conscious or unconscious bias uh and i think that's you know sort of an easy way for an executive to say oh they just weren't a fit and you got to drill down on that you got to quantify that is it eq is it experience that aligns with our, our global mission etc 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 but my point yeah. is, these are making tough conversations a reality and actually i think in some cases empowering our teams to have tough conversations with leaders that they wouldn't otherwise be able to have yes would you agree with that like push, pushing conversations up
1: I think conversations are being pushed up. I would push back a little bit on cultural fit. And I say that because totally. I think this, because I believe that at the lower level of jobs, you spend a lot of time on technical fit. Mm-hmm. And that's because you're hiring for today. Recruiters are really looking at beyond them. but managers are looking at today. When it gets to the executive level, the assumption is, is if you're not technically strong and you're smart enough to leverage your team, you will be successful. The question is, will I feel comfortable sitting around the table with you? Will I trust you, and will others trust you? and I'm going to tell you some of i've you know i've I've actually been on panels where people have had all of the credentials, you know patents, everything, but they're but they're but they're they're square peg and in, in a round hole. You won't work in my environment because I see one you work through people instead of with people, right. You delegate too much. Your style is around delegation. You know, there's many, but I think that there's something about a culture that you can bring in the wrong leader and um and it affected. It. And and I said yeah. that because you remember, I work in organizations where there change. And a lot of times because I work in organizations where there change, we I, I brought in, and one of the things they want me to do is come up with that executive recruiting model. And um a lot of times when they talk about how they want me to sell the job and talk to the agency, they're selling aspiration, not where we are, Mm -hmm. right? So we are this, you know, aging organization. The reason we're getting rid of people because we're upscaling, whatever. But they talk about it in all these aspirations. So the headhunter firm offline, I have the real conversation. That's where we want to be. Mm -hmm. But if you bring someone in today, that's not who they are they're going to have to work with people who have never worked anywhere else. They're going to have to work. If you if they're saying they're going to bring a female in, they're going to have to understand they're going to be the only one on the leadership team. And that's not a bad thing, but they just need to know that. So I think a lot of times organizations sell things on cultural aspirations, mm-hmm. and then there's reality of where we work. So I do think cultural fit works. And when it comes to people of color, a lot of times, um, if we are having an offline conversation, I will share some things if they ask mm-hmm. about what it feels like to be a person. You know, smart P- smart diversity candidates will say to me, "What does it feel like for me to be there?" Mm-hmm. Or, "What is it going to feel like for me to be on the other side of my manager?" And I'm and I try to be balanced with that.
0: Yeah, I th- well, I think that's very interesting. I think sometimes we use that that. That cultural fit gets used as a blanket that's just a little too broad, and there's a you know there's a cautionary piece in there that, that that's, yeah. a, that's a little bit scary and sort of empowers a problem.
1: Well, sometimes people use it a way to you know way to to weed people out. I never forget I interviewed with a with um, the wasn't my environment, and, and I agree. But I interviewed with a company. It was a um, it was a a chemical trials company uh, um, a medical trials company, and I interviewed with them. I don't know fifteen years ago. And I got to the meeting and I looked around and something felt funny. And I was with the security guard at the front desk. And I said, do any, do any people look like us work here? And he went, he just smiled. And, and then um, the day was funky too. The day was funky. The people I interviewed didn't seem to be assessing me on what the job was. They were trying to feel if they liked me. You know, and so when I left, the security guard stopped me and said, "Now do you know the answer?" Interesting. Um, And and I did. And and later I got the I got the feedback from the exec search firm that they don't think you would be a cultural fit for them. So in this,
0: in the spirit of you know the the vein of this is we're talking about moments that matter, right? So this is sort of theories that. That we dreamt up with a couple other folks that i'm excited that are going to be part of this in the next segments and we'll continue this but the idea was that we wanted to talk a little bit about moments or realizations or times of clarity around an issue or even an experience of inequality uh that you're realizing that you're you're living it you're going through it or that it has occurred uh and it's sort of a like a light bulb goes off yes it's it's a what the heck or how have i been normalizing that and it's now occurring to me that that is not normal and not okay so what, what would be an instance for you? I mean, that sounds like a wonderful moment of clarity of like, yeah. uh, right, where the light bulb goes off. But do, yeah. do you have one or two that might be sort of a, that might really resonate with people that maybe they've been normalizing or maybe they've just accepted uh, and that otherwise, you know, that it didn't realize that maybe that that should have been a moment or could have been a moment for them to maybe enact a little change or speak out?
1: Well, I will say that um, I, the there's a couple of things. One is I've had more oh, aha moments about being a person of color than I've ever had about being a woman. And maybe I just don't recognize the woman moments, or maybe I don't care as much about the woman moments, but I don't notice those as much.
0: Wait, would you say across the, the arc of your career? Or would you say? A whole arc of my career. Interesting.
1: Right? So I've never felt out of place as being a woman in any situation. Mm-hmm. but I felt out of place as being a person of color in more situations than not. Okay. And, and I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. I had a wonderful manager. He and I are still close to this day. He considers me his African-American experience. He was from Syracuse, New York, did not grow up with any African-Americans, oh. and I was probably the most uh, unfiltered person he'd ever worked with, right? Okay. So I was doing, I was young in my career, I was doing diversity, all this other stuff. Um, we would go to meetings and everything, and I, it was a company where women were not, there not weren't one a lot of women, but there were definitely, I would be the only person of color that I would see in a lot of buildings. It was a, it was a uh, defense-related contractor. So uh, there was an event that I was doing. It was with the Urban League, and it was in uh, San Diego. And I said to him during my career, I said, you know what, I think it'd be great for you to come with me on one of my diversity recruiting trips. I was doing college recruiting. I was doing a bunch of stuff. So he came with me to the Urban League. And we had a job fair booth and everything. And, you know, at at those kind of events, the Urban League, some Hispanic groups, they're not really job fairs. They're just tchotchke things. And you're really just doing brand marketing. Absolutely. So, and we would have dinner together every night. We'd separate during the day, but have dinner night. And so uh, there were two things he learned the the first day. The first day, he went around and was getting the free giveaways for his kids and stuff. And he went back to this one booth, and they said, "Haven't you been here before?" And he was like, "There's ten thousand people here. How would they have recognized me?" Right? That was the first thing he got right.
0: Must have been his must have been his jacket that he had. On. Right, right.
1: The second thing, because he was taller. The second thing was, he said to me, "Everywhere you went, you introduced me when I was with a new when I met someone I'd never met before." Because he said from day one, he fell out of place at the event. Mm. He said, and I recognize I never do that with you. And after that, when we were back in the halls of my office in the company, if we ever went to a meeting, he would first stop and say, if I was invited to a meeting, he'd say, you guys, I don't think you know Shalia. Let me introduce you to her. It, right. We stay in touch. It's been like 20 some <laughs> years. And he sends me notes, everything. And he always asked me some, some, you know, Confl- hey, Shali, is this okay to do this in a black war? He will send me questions out of the blue sometimes, I but I just remember.
0: Point, but it sounds it, to me like your colleague had a, a moment that mattered of his own.
1: It was a moment to matter because he'd never, and 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 Tom said it, he said I've never ever been anywhere that I was not consciously recognized that I was not dominant, and I did not know how to act.
0: That's fascinating, right?
1: There was a lot of it. That was one of the best trips for him as an aside uh, every year at the Urban League. It used to be that the Navy would do a party um, the last night for the for the corporate for the corporations on mm-hmm. an aircraft carrier or something in the harbor. And so we went and, you know, just as a thing, people would break into electric slot or some type of dance and he didn't know how to do it. And so I pulled him on the floor. I said, you're gonna be immersed in everything this weekend. And he, two weeks later, he went to a wedding and he said, I jumped up because I now knew how to do it because he said, because no one knew me at that event. I felt like I could do anything I wanted to but he recognized what it, what it felt like to be different um, by being immersed in a situation that was different
0: and they, look, socially those are those are pretty those are light-hearted and they're, yeah. and they're good natured and,
1: and <laughs> so you want one of my experiences yeah, i
0: want to know what okay. when, when you had so, a moment you said that what what just happened like you you kind of like getting gobsmacked with something that you that you had not expected
1: well i've had i had i've had three of those that stand out in my life okay uh the first one was and this is Probably the reason why I pulled away from diversity as my sole specialty. I did it for a while. Back in the day when diversity was coming, but it wasn't here. So I was always having to do the business case that by the year 2000, what was happening. But back then, um, I lived in Boston. Boston was very progressive. Uh, First same-sex benefits, Lotus Corporation. First daycare center, Stride Right, First work-life balance stuff was at Boston University. Um, uh, at the time, Digital was doing Walk the Talk. It was a very progressive environment with certain companies, but not all. Okay. So for many of us, we were um, struggling with people realizing it was a business issue because a lot of people didn't get it as a hard issue. And so I did diversity and I would do focus groups, everything, but a lot of times I was sitting in leadership meetings where we're talking about very difficult issues. Mm -hmm. Promotion, succession planning, training, all of that. And Boston also had um, sexual orientation was a protected class. And um, I just remember sitting in more than one meeting, but several meetings where people forgot that I was a member of diversity group. And so it felt like I was in a locker room and I'm cleaning up and you don't recognize that I'm there. So you feel it was a good thing. You feel comfortable. But then you start sharing things that I feel are really offensive, really offensive. And I can take my ethnic group and substitute it for any other group.
0: Can you can you share one of those?
1: Like, you know, um, one of my, one of my remembrances of one thing they said was, we would, we had diversity groups over a lot of different things, ERGs, whatever, and, um, wanted and and so the gay organization had come to me but it wasn't it wasn't the initials then it was just the gay organization <laughs> came to me gay organization and it was very controversial in Boston because sexual orientation was to protect the class but there was always problems with things like um St. Patrick's Day the gays want to march and all this stuff so anyway um the gay group came to me and they wanted to put table tents in the in the in the cafeteria and break room around. At that time, it wasn't glad. I think it was glad. I think they had glad at that time yeah. and put things around. And one of the leaders said, I'm not going to honor pedophilia. Ooh. I'm not going to support or honor pedophilia. And I'm sitting there going, how did we get to pedophilia? I don't, I don't even understand how that leap occurred. I, I, I just don't get it. Um, or, you know, I don't, we, we shouldn't, we, um, when we think about, so we had um, a certain type of very technical uh, discipline, or uh, employment group, and there were a lot of Asian Americans in that group, but my issue was it wasn't a feeder pool for anything else. So that group was not coming out, becoming managers, and I was challenging that. and their response, was, well, 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 that's all they know is numbers. Asians, all they know is numbers. They can't present, or they wouldn't do well with their clients. Wow. We were also a consumer interfacing company and there was a part of the business that was involved in selling directly to the to the clients. It wasn't all these ads and and, and um and internet then a lot of it was knocking on doors, flyers, I was and they felt that that um people of color could not sell their products because people would not open the door to them. Wow. It was a very it was a very it was a very eye-awakening, like you think people talk that way but you'd never think they talk that way kind of thing. Yeah, that so was one eye-opening one. And that was the last time that I specialized in diversity. And the reason it was very hard for me, because it's hard for me to be a part of an ethnic group, hear your truth. And, you know, and, and you really think about it, they probably thought it was a safe environment to be who they are. You know, it was a couple of years later that Pepsi got, not Pepsi, it was, um, One of the oil companies got nailed for, you know, frank conversations in a room. Remember that years and years ago? There was a conversation where someone was talking about ethnic groups disparaging in a corporate environment. Someone taped it and um, it came back to haunt them. So, you know, they felt very comfortable talking about it, but I didn't feel very comfortable in change management around their perceptions of it. And I remember there were two people in one of my discussions that came to me later, two senior leaders, they were vice presidents, and say, Shaliyah, what are we going to do about that? And I said, what, are we, what am I going to do about that? You were in the room, you were their peers, and you didn't feel comfortable of, of saying something. And the CEO was in the room. And he mm-hmm. said, well, the CEO changed the subject. Changing the subject is not taking away the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. So the, So yeah. the person that's talking to you, your colleague, recognized the issue when it happened.
1: Oh, absolutely recognized it because I was working with him. I was over a diversity task force. He had come around. I mean, I had, he was, he was already half there, but he came around on the work I was doing. So he recognized that that conversation was wrong, but felt like I own fixing. And I'm like, I don't own your problem. You know, I own helping you recognize it is a problem. So that was one of my, that was one of my times where I felt like the work it's too emotional, too personal, that um, I will get more offended in those type of conversations. I'm in a different place in my career. I think I could probably go back now and deal with it very differently in terms of coaching them. But at that point, I felt like I couldn't coach them because I was in a vulnerable situation for my job.
0: Well, and I was going to say that, so this is when you were, when diversity was your role. Yes. And your, and your focus. So this is pretty early on in your career. Oh, right?
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: right? Oh, Absolutely. So, so, so that was my next question, is going back now, if you were to sit in a meeting like that now, how, like, what do you do? What's
1: First going- of all, I don't think I would have had the conversation in open space. I think I would have had the conversation one-on-one with the person. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have started it off, because I'm not a judgmental person, so right. I would have started off by asking the question, why do you think that? Because I think most people are based in data, rational, some kind of thought process, even though as I watch politics today, I question that sometimes. But I want to think that most things are based on some type of philosophy. And and this is something I did learn when I did diversity, which I've used with every CEO. Mm -hmm. You cannot change the values of a person, nor should you want to. You change their behavior because you rent it. So if I grew up valuing, so if I didn't grow up valuing, if I grew up valuing abortion or believing in abortion, if I grew up, you know, I'm in the South and I grew up believing in the Confederate flag because of my ancestors, Mm -hmm. I am not in a corporate environment and an eight hour day going to try to deal with stuff that is locked in a safe that's been there for your 20 years before you came here, nor should I ever touch that. But when you're in my house, as you would a parent would say, you're in my house, then Mm -hmm. I can govern your behavior here. And that's what I think we need to focus on as opposed to the, oh, we can change values. I'm not a value changer. I I don't believe I can do
0: it. So it's not so much about trying to figure out how to change the minds or change the beliefs or even enlighten to some degree some of these folks who who are a little bit challenged or who might be a little bit ignorant or a lot ignorant uh, about the state of things. Uh, so much as it is making sure that you help alter their behavior a bit in the workspace.
1: Correct, because I I'll, and I I'll give you examples. I look at today. There are many people who have politicized wearing a mask. For example, there's sure. there's many reasons. Some people say they can't breathe. There's many reasons that we do not have a national standard of wearing a mask. But if you walk into Costco, they can tell you to wear a mask, right. and you will put one on, and you won't get served. Diversity is very similar to me in that way. I can't control your thought process, your value system, but if you want to be promoted, rewarded, and recognized in my organization, then you need to understand we have a set of core values and you need to live them.
0: That sort of brings us back to cultural fit a little bit, doesn't it?
1: Well, but, but, but here's the thing. You should not want to work anywhere where you don't feel comfortable. Now, here's the other thing, like, you know, this happens in people in the media all the time. They have to sign pledges that they can't take, you know, their social media platforms and be who they are, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a choice that they make. And I'm going to say, if I choose to work for, like, just athletes do it too. Athletes sign these non-disclosures that I won't ride a motorcycle bike and I won't do certain dangerous sports. It's not about you're not who you are, but you choose for the job and the career that you get funded for, that you have to take on a persona that aligns. And that's the same thing, I believe, with diversity.
0: And do you think that, do you think that fixes, because it sounds to me like perhaps that fixes the behavior and the treatments internal to an organization. Uh, and we draw a line and say, look, it's not our, it's not our company's job to change the, the, the culture at
1: large. We're just Correct. But I believe that, I, I do believe this, is that people can only keep up a pretense so long. So when you bring a first grader to the first grade and you start them off by saying a pledge of allegiance every day to the flag, and you tell them to say, you know, um, you know certain things every day, and you got, can't say no, and you got to share your toys. By the time they get out of high school, some of that unconsciously becomes their value because they see the benefit of doing it right? The benefit of doing it. Working on diverse teams with diverse, you know, diverse pieces of thought. Well, I would not have had women on my team before. I had a bunch of women. We got it done quicker, faster, more ideas. And I believe it changes you. doesn't? You know, but I'm not trying to change you. The environment has changed you, if you're open to it. Some people will never will never change, but they will be able to model the behavior very well enough to survive.
0: I, so since it reminds me of something. So, you know, I spent 10 years at AT&T in various levels of, of talent acquisition and talent acquisition leadership. And I would say that when I left AT&T, great organization, and when I left at and and I went to work for PepsiCo, in the first 30 days, I was exposed to more diversity uh, than I had been in the entire 10 years mm-hmm. that I had worked within AT&T. And, and by that, I mean diversity of, it was both of uh, working with folks of different age, different gender, and of course, of di- different ethnicities. Uh, right. and, to, and, and that was powerful for me because uh, I, I hesitate to throw the word uh, woke around. It's, 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 it's an early stage <laughs> but I would say that like, I had no idea. I thought I was in a diverse organization. I thought I was working with
1: you know level. Right, but you didn't really know. I and that no was a interest. moment for you, right?
0: It was, it was eye-opening because I, I wasn't really sure at first what was happening uh, and was changing how I worked. But, yeah. but I, it, you know, it clicked at about the third week. I'm like, holy smokes, here's what's going on.
1: That is true. In my organization, I was on a call this morning about diversity and we were talking about inclusion. And this is the first company I've ever, never had to feel, ask myself, why am I not included? By 12 o'clock any given day, I would have been on a phone call or video chat with people at least five different languages. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, anytime I do anything in TA, I've got to translate the languages and then also feel like, ask the question of, of a peer, will that translate culturally if we do that? Like for example, photos. In America, we're used to now doing photos that are very informal mm-hmm. for, 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 for marketing. Mm-mm. My German team, no. Professional yeah. done, studio, whatever. You know, so I it's 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 the inclusion part is now of who I am. But you know, many early in my career I didn't feel that. I always felt like how do I figure how do I figure out how to play the game? Yeah. And the game is a win-win and so you gotta figure out the game. Um, so, that was the, so that was my first experience doing diversity. My second experience, and a friend of mine told me about this, and I used it, which was um, I was a lot of times asked, and I've been asked at organizations to sit on the diversity council. Sit on the diversity council, and I'm like, why do I need to sit on the diversity council? I'm already diverse. What, what do I need to be on the diversity council? <laughs> I realized I need to sit on the diversity council because when I get to diversity council, there ain't many diversity people on there. Right. I'm not talking about ERGs. I'm talking about a diversity council. So am I going as a race representative, whatever? So a friend of mine told me they did this, and I did this too. Is the person who asked me to sit on the diversity council, I asked them, where does diversity lie in my bonus eligible goals and in your bonus eligible goals? And it didn't exist. Yeah. And so I said, I'm sorry, I really don't have time for that.
0: Good for you. And how, how'd that play out?
1: Um, red face- you know red face (laughs) uh, and couldn't couldn't deny it because they weren't sitting on the diversity council right right um and um and and sort of backed up off of it
0: that's a powerful thing that you did though i mean to be able to take you know sort of draw that line and say look we gotta we gotta talk about prioritization
1: right it's just a committee it's just a committee that's going nowhere um the, the third experience that was for me it was an aha moment was um i 've always believed when you do diversity events, you should be real, so don 't pull out that list I used to go to a Native American conference and and when I early in my career, and they would go look for someone who was Native American and tell Shalia, maybe you should take them to the conference and I said, "How many managers in their work group are going to be Native American? You know how many people are going to be there?" Um, But I've worked in companies that did that. So I worked in an organization and um, they did that for, we were doing a diversity recruiting event. And um, I put out the notice, I'm doing this diversity recruiting, looking for hiring managers. And so this woman was sent to me as one of the people that I should bring to the event. So she came, she was quite pleasant. She worked the event. I did not know her. She was new. At the end, she came to my office and a couple days later, and she said, I don't want to ever be invited to that event again. no. And I said, why? She said, because I don't want to be a black woman at this company. I want to just be an engineer. Hmm. And she said it. And then I had another wake where I worked at a company where our CEO was a female. And she was newly hired. And then the women's group invited our CEO to come. And she said, this is the last time I will come to this meeting at, at your invitation because I'm a CEO and I happen to be a woman and I'm not showing preferential treatment to any group. And, and when I heard it from someone else, I realized the impact of some people not wanting that to be their, who they are. It's not who they are. They're oh, yeah. not bringing that to the, to the location because they don't want to be seen as different. They want to assimilate in a different way. Those were, those were the experiences that I just like, okay, I get it. I see something different.
0: Well, there are a lot of factors, a lot of identities that make up who we are as a whole. Yes. it's so it really, really interesting how, how we have the opportunity now to sort of, or, or the ability, maybe we've always had the opportunity, but we have the ability or the empowerment for some of us to stand up and say, look, th- this is how I want to be. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But I, I identify, I understood what she was saying. She she was new to our company. She felt like, you know, I'll always be that African-American female when needed. And I don't want to be that person. I want to be seen for my current achievements. Uh, you know, it was a very, it was a very different. It was very, very different, but a very good conversation. And when she shared it with me, I understood.
0: Yeah. So Shalia, I, look, I always learn something every time that we, we connect uh, and we talk about some stuff, whether we talk offline uh, <laughs> or, at, or at a uh, happy hour in Ireland or wherever we may be. I know.
1: We've got some good times. Good but, times.
0: Well, good I want to so close with one question. For people who might be earlier in their career or who might be in organizations where um, the, the culture doesn't necessarily support them standing up, standing up straight and saying, this is how I want to be identified or, or pulling someone to the side just yet and saying, look, I, I want to know why you feel that way. That, that made me uncomfortable. You know, dressing it head on. And who are having their moments now. maybe mm-hmm. like, we're beginning to have these moments that matter, these enlightening moments. What would you tell them? Like, what would be your advice to, what, what should they do
1: next? So, you know, it's interesting. I've been having some conversations because I, as I talked to my peers who are African American in organizations, we've all been addressing this very differently. Mm-hmm. Some people have felt the chance, have taken the opportunity to invite all the minority employees in a room to, to get real and be safe. And, and I said to them, so a couple of things, I ask your question. One, you're not safe until you feel safe. You're not safe with your, with your, so no matter how you're feeling today, Mm -hmm. unless you feel safe, don't, 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 don't assume. Don't assume because some organizations, it, they are really looking at what they can do differently. They're trying, they're, they're doing all of that. And some organizations are not right. And so, and so you've got to know the DNA of where you work on the safety piece to share what you feel that's the first thing. The second thing is I'm a strong believer that everything has a reason Mm -hmm. and whether I understand it then or not, um, it's there for a reason. So some of my most, you know, one of my favorite tennis players, they asked him if he remembered his wins or his losses the most. And he said, I remember my losses the most because they're the most painful. And so I truly believe that there are some things in our organization that we go through that are very, very painful. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, it's painful for me, but I know that I'm going to, at some point, because I'm a person reflection, I'm going to, it's going to be an aha moment that it was done. And maybe it was done to me because I was stronger than other people, but there's something about that moment that I'm going to try to figure out why I went through it. And then the third thing that I'm going to say is that I do believe that there is more change. I will tell you when I thought there was change, I lived in Boston for um, 12 years. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I went to Boston for high school, went to boarding school in Boston for high school. When I went to Boston, high school was racial unrest. It was the busing, it was a busing um, issues in Boston. Mm-hmm. When I saw yesterday that they put Black Lives Matter on, um, on, 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 on Fenway Park, yeah. when I would not even go to Fenway Park, I knew a moment had happened in Boston. Okay. Um I, I believe that this is a very big opportunity to push things that you've never pushed before. And I also believe inside of organizations, you're not the only one feeling it. I've been doing work at this organization and I've been asking because I work for a global company, are we going to tackle race because it's the prominent issue in the US? Or are we going to talk about diversity in the bigger concept in the bigger context? Um, and so I waited for the pause, and my assumption was race for the US gender for everywhere else. This is the moment. And I had someone um, send me a private note saying, I am a white female in Paris. Race is an issue here that we don't talk about and don't track. Let's go for it all. Never would have thought she had that opinion. Never would have thought she'd have pushed it. Um, Several other people after that, I waited for the pause, other people jumped in and said, let's go for it all. While it's not an issue that is publicly talked about Mm -hmm. if our employees find it important let's go for it so I'm going to say don't feel that you're isolated in your organization it is okay not to be okay because people would say to me those early days are you okay and I felt like saying are you okay Um, because I I have always been angry you are now understanding my anger so are you okay because you're seeing my anger now so I feel like don't ask you know if we're okay ask if we're safe and ask if we're able to process this in a way that's being positive for us. Because I, I do believe that's the situation. The, the other piece is, is that um, in, when I did diversity, we talked about diversity and there's you know going to be military, sexual orientation, whatever. Um, it's very hard in this country to talk about diversity and talk about one group. Mm-hmm. And at this moment, we are talking about one group, African-Americans. Right. And I would say to others, give this moment and this group their moment it's not to say that these other issues don't matter but right now we're dealing with an issue that's been there for a long time and that it's never been dealt with and the same things that my grandparents told me about the police i'm still would still have to be telling my grandkids about the police it's never been dealt with and so everybody has their moment and will deal with a multitude of issues but this is a moment and don't feel that you're on the, you know, you're being left out. You're not because there are a lot of other issues that we need to talk about. But at this moment, this is the issue on the table.
0: Well, I think this, I think this is a momentum piece that we have to take advantage of. Absolutely. From from a larger picture and you're right. It does not diminish the challenges of of, uh, that they're going through, but but certainly if we can focus, we keep from watering down uh, the effectiveness I think we can have and the push and that we're starting to see it at every level society. Hopefully
1: it can yes. So, yeah. and, and I also feel like what I'm looking for is just like there's a black lives movement out there. Um, and I'm a part of, of, of HR organizations. I'm a part of black HR as, as National Association of African Americans in HR. Um, I would love to see groups of us try to problem solve how we deal with the corporate issue. See, there are people dealing with, you know, the the disparity in home ownership and education mm-hmm. and in healthcare, but we've never, as a collective group, um, HR, who are I think are the people keepers, right? We're the consultants, whatever, we've never dealt with the corporate issue to really be able as a as a as a group figure out how we deal with this. And it's gonna have to take a couple of things. It's gonna have to take um just h r and it's going to have to take people of color willing to come into that hr circle to have some very difficult conversations
0: yeah, well, the people some people and in some organizations more than others they're going to have to take some risks
1: take some risk and and i and i 'm going to see how much walk in the talk is involved because i think everybody's marketing pr firm took this as an opportunity to say not me not me i'm I'm different we mm-hmm. we've met we we've we've always and i'm like no nah, not so much but, um but
0: i have people of color in my social media posts shalia isn't that enough
1: no it's not <laughs> not that's like, saying, that's like me saying that's like me saying I understand all white people because I've grown up in a predominantly white environment from school to work. I know all white people. No, I don't know Becky and I don't know Karen. I don't know them. Nobody
0: wants to know Karen.
1: I don't know Becky and Karen. You know, As Mariah Carey would say, I don't know them. Um, So you can't know everything. And I I also feel like um, this is becoming, I've seen this twice now in the last 10 years, cancel cultures. We are very quick to cancel. We did this with Me Too. We canceled out. And there's some people that should be canceled. And there's some things that were on the periphery. Was it wrong? Yes. Was it illegal? Was it immoral? Whatever. Questionable. But we canceled people out because they were on the fringes. And I think that there's some people today that are trying to get their arms around stuff right now, trying to understand stuff right now. There are managers that are going to ask you the dumbest questions, um, but they don't know they're dumb. And their honesty and their trust to come to you is a sign that they want to learn and grow and, and whatever. They should not be canceled. I should not be, you know, posting I guess what my dumb manager asked me today? No, this is a chance for you to help a coworker or someone else who's struggling, who maybe wanting to have a conversation with their kids or somewhere else. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm taking, and I actually do sit there and figure out, you know, was it racist or ignorant? Well, Most I think, times I believe uh, it's just ignorant.
0: Yeah, well, and I think, you know, as we mature in our, in our, you know, roles and as, as human beings, hopefully we're learning that there are two elements to something. Like oh, that. absolutely. That there is absolutely. a level of ignorance, of course, but then you have to look at intent, right? And is that, is it something that is malicious in intent or something that came from just a dumb place and there needs to be some education there?
1: Well, be careful on that because when we teach sexual harassment, we say, doesn't matter what the intent is, it's the impact. <laughs> Right. So you telling me my dress looked pretty today, if I don't respect it, the sexual harassment. So the intimacy impact kind of matters. So you may unconsciously say something. Uh-huh. Or uh, last year I had to call one of my girlfriends and I just laughed because I, she worked uh, for a food service company that does the cafeterias. Uh-huh. So her company <laughs> did the food service at one of the colleges and for Black History Month, which is February, they right. had watermelon. Uh, the cafeteria decided to do a menu of watermelon, fried chicken, and something else. Oh, I no. called her up and I said, can I ask you a question? Where did you get watermelon in February? Where did you get watermelon in February? <laughs> you, you had to consciously, consciously decide to do that menu. And she said, our client was ignorant and we did not give enough coaching to the client. Right. You know, we missed it. We, but you know, I, they I, honestly I, I missed
0: back. it. I, I lean back on the intent was good, but just riddled with ignorance.
1: We want to celebrate Black History Month. We want to have ethnic food. Oh. But the water, I kept saying, oh, where do you get watermelon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they always, th- we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to make blips. Some of the, but now with social media, it can become viral and it can harm you.
0: Well, it the visibility factor's up yeah. tenfold.
1: And people are losing their jobs every day because of ignorance. Would you, you know, wh- where some of it can just be, you know, you, you don't get it. I saw a, a, a Ken move today where a guy stopped a woman because she was biking in California in his gated community. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he thought he was being helpful. Like, I've never seen you before. You know, what are you doing in my neighborhood? But when she said, it's not your place to ask me, that's when you, you move move aside he went the the other and then felt to call the police and i feel like anytime you call the police over something stupid you should pay the taxpayers back for your dollars but you know
0: well you're not wrong look so here's the thing so we started this series out this this moments that matter thing this is the we're kicking it off with you and i but we're doing something a little different with this podcast series these segments and i will not be conducting the next interview it will be you
1: yes Uh, excited
0: yeah, I'm excited about it too. So you'll, you'll conduct it, probably come out in a couple of days following this one, but you'll conduct the next one. Uh, and then whomever you interview, you're going to pass the baton and they will then conduct the interview with someone else. So I think that's a little bit different and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, do you want to share who you're doing your interview with or do you, do you want to surprise everybody?
1: I'm doing my interview with William, correct?
0: That's right, William Wiggins.
1: I'm doing my interview with William Wiggins, someone I don't know. And when I don't know someone, I am all ears to hear their story.
0: Well, fantastic guy. He does some writing for CXR. Uh, he is a HR professional uh, in the healthcare space uh, in Seattle. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh, Seattle would be interesting Seattle to even Florida. hear about that.
0: Seattle, Seattle, yeah. So yeah, fun guy. I've known him for a handful of years. Been fr- he is the, uh, many may not know this, but he is the uh, spouse of Carmen Hudson. So uh, an industry. And of- I
1: love her. She's just so dynamic. I every time I hear her Fantastic. speak. Um I love the tools that she creates. She's just a, a gem in the in the recruiting space right now.
0: Yep. And she is in our chain of interviews that are planned as
1: very well. Very good. Very good. Well, I get to interview her husband because she knows him, I assume, by now.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if he's gonna interview her or not. We're gonna see how we mix that up. That might be. Oh, interesting. very interesting.
1: He'll <laughs> probably learn something new.
0: Boy, I sure hope not. <laughs> 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 Leah, thank you so much for being part of this You're welcome. Episode. I can't wait to hear your interview with William.
1: Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to it.
0: Good stuff you're listening to moments that matter a special cxr podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality here on moments that matter we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments these are moments that matter